This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's a... called My Old Man. Turn again by Davis. It's John McGinn finding Grealish. Grealish! Wow! Wow! Stunning! Scintillating! And surviving! Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your antidote for the last two weeks of Villa fan Twitter farts turning into transfer rumour clickbait stories. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me to discuss from Survival Sunday onwards, Mr. Dan Rogers from the TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome. Hello, good to be here. And Mr. Chris Bird. Hello. So we are at the end of the domestic season. The restart, we were against the restart. I mean, it, the whole idea of it was to save the Premier League between around 600 to 700 million pounds that they would have, uh, I think they have a deficit of between about 300 and 400 million with the restart because they've had to uh, rebate Sky and sponsors because of there being no fans in the stadium, but they would have lost a, a you know, one billion if uh, they just took their jumpers and goalposts and just said that's the end of the season. So it had to continue. Whether it was morally uh, a good thing to do, you could say no. But at the end of the day, Villa stayed up uh, against all odds. Um, how are you feeling about this? I'm feeling good. I, w- I mean, I wish I was uh, ignoring a pandemic and was in Ibiza in between uh, John McGinn and Jack Grealish. And I, I now I've said that, it sounds very wrong. Uh, <laughs> 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 but hell, I'll throw on a wig and take my saggy ass over there and we'll have a great old time and be in the Daily Mail together. <laughs> and I'll report back. <laughs> you just want your five seconds of fame, don't you? Oh, Let's just I go and spray it. champagne, shall we? Oh, in the dream. You just want your five seconds of fame in some shonky, Nicky Beach type joint. <laughs> you know me too well, David. 
Right, coming up in the show, we will get into the new villain news as it's been developing over the last week or so. Then we will uh, get into the three points, which includes Operation Red Card. It's not about racism. The the thing that we uh, we, we kind of contributed, didn't we? Uh, the Saudis pulling out of the uh, Newcastle takeover. We've definitely did our bit. It was that three hundred page report that we uh, that we sent to uh, the Premier League, detailing that it might not have been a very good idea. And we'll also look at the uh, ongoing situation in terms of fans returning to uh, stadiums. Uh, I actually had to spend uh, about three hours of my Sunday morning on a Zoom call to the Football Supporters Association where uh, it was mentioned in a National Council meeting. And it seems to be a bit of a minefield, uh, to be honest with you, uh, but we'll get on to that. Oh, and we're not doing uh, an underrated and overrated in this episode, but we are going to do a underrated and overrated special for the current squad in the season that was 2019-20. So uh, watch out for that. Villa news, what's been happening? Suso's gone. Now, to me, a lot of pundits who don't really know the ins and outs of Villa just see it as like, because we were in a relegation battle, we wasted 140 million and uh, he had to leave. But it's not as simple as that because a lot of, there was a chunk of that money on players that we'd actually trialed on loan. You know, your Tyron Mings, your Courtney Orr's, your Anwar on Garzis. And then you've got the investment in younger players, which you can't really 100% judge them on this season. And, you know, some of them you like. So if Konza and Douglas Louise uh, started to show their true potential. But what do you think? Was he just, you know, quickly, was he a kind of a scapegoat? I mean, from my experiences of being at Wembley and seeing him and Persler, you know, they were kind of thick as thieves in terms of, uh, seemed to have a very good kind of working relationship, which obviously uh, soured in, in the at the end. I think he was the obvious fool guy, wasn't he? You know, if the, just because of the outlay of money and this, there had supposedly been a bit of a breakdown in the relationship with him and Perslow, which I, I take with a pinch of salt. Yeah. The club seemed, seemed to sort of give it the narrative of, of his contract had expired and it just they chose not to give him a new one. But it, it was the easy option. You know, I think everybody in the press and the fan base was certainly looking for, well, who's at fault for this? And it's very easy for Perslow. You know, obviously, once Smith had done his job in keeping us in the division, Suso becomes the easy guy to, to get rid of, doesn't he? I thought there was one thing that got slightly overlooked in some of the wider reporting was when Perslow was trying to be statesmanlike and steward uh, Villa's position during the, the COVID restart that, that uh, Pitash made some outspoken comments about non-relegation from the Premier League. And those were, I think, unauthorised comments that uh, I don't know whether it was or it wasn't Villa's position. It Spanish, but it was, Spanish press, was it not? Yeah. Mm, mm. And it was it was unhelpful at a time where I think Villa were keeping their... We were always quite late in commenting, but I think Perslow was... We were clearly on the side of protecting all of our interests with relegation, obviously being the worst possible outcome for us. And so to have our, sport, our then sporting director say that the Premier League shouldn't have any relegation... When you know, yeah. obviously there were other voices in that was 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 damaging. Yeah, it was a Gwilym Balak piece, and um, he was talking about how supposedly since the turn of the year, you know, Suso wanted to take the football side of the club in one direction, and Perslow said, "Well, I'm in charge. We'll take it the way I want to do it, and you will implement it." Which you know, again, I take that with a pinch of salt, but it's it's kind of something you could imagine Perslow saying. But ultimately, it doesn't matter now. Coming in to replace Suso is Johan. Lang, who came in pretty much straight away from FC Copenhagen. We'll discuss him in more detail uh, later on in the main part of the show. 
Also incoming, Mr. Craig Shakespeare, ex of Leicester City, is coming in as assistant head coach to Dean Smith. And he's joined by uh, Rob McKenzie, his former Leicester colleague who joins Villa as head of recruitment. And James Chester had uh, already, uh, he came to the end of his Villa contract, but he has joined uh, Stoke City. I mean, big love in uh, on social media about James Chester. I mean, just in a nutshell, Chris, a uh, good championship defender, but I think he only played like on average 20 games in his three proper seasons in the Premier League. So uh, it's more of a, a man for the time we were there, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't fault the guys, you know, professionalism, application, etc. I think he was a very, very good championship defender, but as soon as we got promoted, I don't necessarily think he was going to yeah. you know, make the grade in the Premier League, especially with his you know, his injuries, which are unfortunate. Sarcic, our young goalkeeper, has uh, joined the Wolves. It was a free transfer, was it not? Yeah, well, he's, he, his uh, contract had come to the end, hasn't it? Apparently, he's gone there and been loaned out straight away. Yeah, I always thought he was a bit too small for a keeper. I don't Because I always thought, well, he's young, so he'll grow, but... Never did. <laughs> Full Shea given. Uh, also, Carney uh, Chikwamaka... Signed uh, a full professional uh, deal. Uh, I mean, I don't want. We don't want to sit here and hype players. Uh, I haven't actually seen him play, to be honest. But he's highly regarded as uh, one of the top young players in English football. Well, he's meant to be a bit of an all-action midfielder, sort of cut in the similar mould as like a Patrick Vieira, like a box-to-box player, tough tackling, but can play as well. The, the other point is that he's he's the first player who's been highlighted as I think that the academy clear out, if you like, and that's why you saw. Players like uh, Callum O'Hare move on. That Perslow's view of the world is that if you are 16 or 17, you should be threatening to break into the first team at that age, not yeah. um, maybe, possibly never when you're 21, 22 on loan out at Coventry or uh, Doncaster or you know wherever a number of our players ended up and ultimately released having never never progressed in terms of signings there was still no signings yet uh, we'll obviously let our new sporting director get behind his desk but the, the women's team seem to be signing at least two players every day it's been a massive overhaul in terms of getting players in from the top european leagues because the uh, the super league in uh, england is seen as the uh, it's pr- probably the best paying that's why it's seen as the most uh, exciting league to be in but it shows you the uh, the commitments uh, of the owners into uh, the women's team and the youth team, uh, which they've put sizable investment in already. I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they perform in the first first season because they are essentially doing what Villa did when they went up to the Premier League as well. Well, I mean, for the first time, it's a women's team that is going to, I'm, I'm sure most of the players, if not all, will be full-time professionals for the first time. So that in itself, just to have a full-time staff, is a, yeah. is a pretty seismic shift for them. You know, I think they share the same sponsors, the first team, that their social media presence already has been increased. Um, so clearly the, the club as a whole is, is taking that part of the organisation a lot more seriously. And it's good to see an, an overall ambition from the ownership that you know, they want to excel it in all areas. Well, the good news was for the women's team was the men's team stayed yeah. up in the Premier League and that provides an infrastructure for them to get top-level support because the money will actually be there. The women's uh, team members also featured in the uh, the new kit launch or the new home strip launch. I think that was half of it was to reward them for getting promoted. I think the other half of the reasoning was uh, because you've got to do these things in, in advance in terms of photo shoots, you don't really want to be doing uh, Jack Grealish, Mings, because uh, you normally put your main players in. 
Jack Grealish, uh, Mings McGinn in uh, a big production number, and then we get relegated and these players that uh, are advertising the kit aren't at the club anymore. So that was one uh, reason why it was a good idea to go down that route. But it kind of low-key overall, don't you think? Low-key and uh, error-strewn uh, too. That that's that's the. I think there's a few things that were a bit off. I think the price point is very very high. Um, for about as ever, really, I suppose, for adults and well, the normal kids. kit went up two pounds, which mm. is like a, a, a bit, I called it a cheeky two pounds because why, you know, why? I mean, obviously, you're going to add a few grand on your, you know, your income there. But then the elite shirt, which was a piss taker, eighty pounds, they slapped another tenner on it, which I, is I don't uh, get that. I, I mean, Spurs they put their elite kit out a hundred which is like we really going there we're really going for a hundred for a shirt we are and i think it i don't think it's just villa i think it's sometimes football's complete disconnect from from the world around it sometimes you know this is a time of of abject hardship for a lot of people and that you know football isn't a charity but at the same time you think you think really the the other thing about villa's kit launch was that they they managed to cock up some of the things behind the scenes not not least of all uh, getting the description of the shirt to encourage you to pull on the strip with the Spurs spirit I noticed yeah well they did that because they were, they were cut and pasting the prices off the Spurs uh, website so they thought they might as well take some of the description as well while they did it <laughs> whoops <laughs> but also uh, there was a bit of uh, I mean behind the scenes they didn't have the links ready they didn't actually have the shirts ready on the on the website at launch time I mean you know there's, there's a long history of uh, Aston Villa website misdemeanors from ticketing and you know frustration for fans going way back but you'd think you'd be able to test that well you absolutely can and and uh, you know <laughs> I mean running a website like we do we, we you know that there are some technical aspects to it but it is it is not rocket science rocket science it's about a bit of organization a bit of technical know-how I, I think that this goes as you say a long way and back the, and they Villa. have a, they have a team and they've got money and <laughs> yeah. resources to do it yeah, exactly and um I think it goes a long way back that the Villa are trying to hone a polished, modern, non-parochial image. You know, that goes back to, I think it was a Tom Tom Fox quote, wasn't it? The Villa were quite parochial. And it's one of the few things I've agreed with that he said. But you only have to look across the administrative side of Villa generally. And it, it, it is archaic. There is no getting away from it. And these are the, but these are the kind of things that separate you from the elite teams. I want absolutely want all of the resource focused on the playing side and whatnot. But actually, you've got to get the fundamentals right. And if you were to, if you say ten a.m. to launch to <laughs> yeah. ten a.m. is when you can pre-order a kit. That's when it should be. It shouldn't be like fannying around. Uh, but sorry, just to wrap it off, you're ultimately, you know, you're absolutely right. In a time when people are being furloughed and losing jobs, are getting pay cuts to add ten quid onto it. One of the, sh- you know, the elite fit shirt when when originally it was a piss take and by the way this shirt is not costing a lot more to make so you've got to slap an extra tent the, the markup as you saw in the sale when they're selling these shirts off for 16 18 pounds they're making a profit on that sale never mind uh, the uh, retail price at the start of the season to keep up on the best offers and uh, discounts on uh, villa's new kit as it rolls out go to myomansaid.com and check out the shop link that's where i keep updates on all uh, discount codes and uh, offers when the new home kit launched uh, you could use the uh, a code on it to get 10% off but the uh, the club stopped that on the uh, the standard shirt the code still works on uh, most other things uh, on their store 
So look out for that. Uh, the Away Kit uh, looks like it's going to be third week of August, their release. There's a possibility that you might see it a little earlier because it might be used on, on a new signing. Uh, watch this space. On to the three points. Uh, first one, Operation Red Card. This involves all this data up to data that's out there that betting companies set up apps based on it and uh, you know all kinds of uh, things kind of feed off it uh, has got in a position where it's uh, now going to be a well, hundreds of English players actually are potentially uh, going to file a lawsuit uh, over the use of their uh, personal data. It's a story that's been kind of bubbling under the surface for a you know for a while. It's headed by a chap called Russell Slade from the UK firm Fleets or Fleets, and they basically claim that the statistics of all these players are being used un- unlawfully, and anticipate that the majority of you know male and female players in the UK will will join this. They're sort of trying to create it to be a bit of a bit of a movement. Their, I think, sort of argument is that the the data is owned by the individuals themselves rather than the companies who are you know utilising it or the clubs, and that's where I think you know the interesting grey area might be is well, who actually owns this data? Um, they're expecting a settlement by twenty twenty one, but I think this could be a story that kind of just bubbles and bubbles for quite a long time under the surface. I think this hinges a lot on, I mean, the EU and and also. You know, GDPR's got to be one of the driest topics going. But I, th- I think this is more about consent and about knowing what what is actually happening to, to data about you, because all of this information is linked to individuals. Uh, I think it's really, really, in, in that respect, quite interesting. But I do think it's very, very shaky ground because we're talking about vast amounts of, of analytical data. And again, anyone who who works in and around that industry knows that not just in in the EU. But even places like California now, there's there's huge amounts of data control that yeah. you have to jump through. Just, to, I mean, again, just to reference our websites, that I I know that you have to be so careful with this. Uh, it, it, think about it in a football context, and just by clicking, clicking not even onto a betting website, but the amount of information that is in the public domain, but that is available through databases is remarkable um is it private and sensitive i think that's where the test possibly lies because it's not like your let's say your habits and it's not linked to advertising it is what you are doing is being abused and creating many cottage industries that people obviously make a lot of money Mm. uh, from Mm. so i mean that's the main thing of they want a slice of the pie point number two We've discussed this a couple of times, and the Saudis uh, have pulled out on the uh, takeover of uh, Newcastle United. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I feel so sorry for everyone involved. The Toon Army aren't very happy. Uh, I think their supporters trust 97% of fans wanted this deal to go ahead. Why? Well, Mike Ashley, essentially. Oh, let's let's get a murderous regime in. Dan's saying better the devil you know, but uh, I mean football's boiled down to you know most fans they really want a rich owner and then just spend hundreds of millions in the transfer window. That is one one certain fan. They were sold this dream that they could potentially be a powerhouse and been led down this path after you know several seasons of uh, Mike Ashley uh, dragging them through the mud. They thought finally uh, here's the silver lining, but. This is the problem. It becomes very tribal, and they turn a blind eye to uh, the fact that Saudi Arabia were uh, pirating basically the Premier League's uh, products. But now um, there's, you know, it's a little bit of we are victims because the Premier League haven't really given us an excuse to why it's poo pooed this deal. The investment group, the they've, they've timed out the deals, timed out. Yeah, they had a they had a certain amount of time to f- um, you know fulfil the deal and complete. 
and haven't done it. I, w- I mean, I wonder if the Premier League would have known that. Uh, in terms of the TV thing, there was obviously a bit of a bit of friction between obviously Saudi Arabia and Qatar, which is probably not the middle ground where the Premier League want to be getting involved. But it's, it's, you know, there was there was sort of talk of like you know hashtag blood on the tine was doing the rounds, and I think there was that real you know dilemma morally for Newcastle fans, not that there should be one about well, we, do we want to be rich and successful but have the the negative connotation of having the Saudis involved? And of course, most of those fans, they just want to win things. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Saudis will say this is kind of, you know, Western spin on them being bad guys uh, as well. Also, Toonami was saying that uh, the Premier League dragged this out, so it went past that kind of time uh, limits. They could have just made their decision earlier on, but I don't think it was as simple as that. No, and it kind of it puts Newcastle in a very difficult position now with, you know, not that long before the season starts. You know, they're obviously going to have to stick with Bruce for now, you would think. I don't know what Ashley's resources are going to be like, but there'll be there'll be some twitchy twitchy supporters over up in uh, up in Newcastle now in terms of what the next you know the new season brings. Well, anyway, well, good luck to them. I mean, there's uh, hopefully one club we can leapfrog over in the next uh, season. Point number three: the COVID situation is let's say it's not going away. They were uh, let's say trial sporting events. Uh, slated in uh, horse racing snooker and cricket uh, which were cancelled pretty much at the 11th hour due to uh, an increase in uh, covid cases this obviously uh, has a roll-on effect in terms of uh, there was optimism that supporters would be back in stadiums in october they were talking about 20 to 40 percent capacity depending on uh, individual grounds and how their infrastructure fits in with sports ground safety authority guidelines. I had a uh, three-hour national council meeting uh, of the Football Sports Association. This is obviously a a burning topic. And, I mean, some of the things uh, that were discussed there, I mean, just quickly uh, talking about, like, if you had a ticket to a game, then uh, it would be almost like an appointment slip where you would have a time to get to that gate. And if you didn't get to that gate at that time, you wouldn't be allowed in because they were talking about random covid testing temperature tests there's i mean it's a whole new world to actually get into a stadium and watch a game uh, and then freedom in terms i mean you know when you go to a pub at the moment does that trace and tracking that would have to come into it so then there's questions about privacy of data and how is how that data is all used i mean the main concerns are concourses uh, toilets in terms of social distancing so there's talks of potentially having uh, well, they're going to have to change the legislation, but actually being able to have uh, a drink at your seat and having an app where you can order it from. So such is the situation that actually might, uh, I mean, that would that be a positive spin-off, I suppose, if you can order a, a drink and actually drink it while you're watching the game via an app. Probably extra, probably an extra couple of quid on the bloody price of the beer, no doubt. I think there's a, as you say, this is, seems to be a bit of a minefield. And, and just quickly, I think that the one thing that won't be lost on anyone is that the the government messaging seems to have changed drastically in the last seven to ten days. We've gone from lockdown easing to the the, the breaks appear firmly on. And um, I think that, as you say, with the with with some of those events being can the pilot events being cancelled. I, an October restart uh, for for fans back in stadiums seems optimistic, um, and yeah. then you've got the secondary issue of um, over and above what you just mentioned, the appeal of that. You know, the public health are talking about the 
a broad shielding risk for people over 50 now. Well, that's a huge, huge population of football fans that would immediately be uh, unable or um, be unsafe, I suppose, for them to attend. Um, before you've even... I was thinking about this the other day with the, the, one of the cricket pilot events that where you could get up to four tickets, but that's not why people go to the cricket and the, the whole the atmosphere element I think is and, and the product is 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 much much poorer for it and, and rightly to get people there safely but I think it would represent something drastically different to what what you would expect and, and what you would remember from being a full full Villa Park I mean like Ticketmaster I think who I forgot what the percentage of uh, clubs they service, but it, it's pr- pretty high. But they've said they uh, have the system in place, and I think this is similar to other countries who have uh, already uh, had fans back where you can book in bubbles and have six people. I mean, the, the ethos will be to maximize as many people as they can get in, you know, within the, the guidelines and the rules. So if you have six people living in a house, then uh, you will be able on uh, Ticketmaster to get those six people sitting next to each other. In terms of social distancing, the average width of a seat is going to be 46 uh, centimeters. So that's an empty seat. So if you're leaving an empty seat in between each other from nose to nose it would be uh, it's been calculated that seat to seat if you've got an empty seat in front of you you're looking at like 92 centimeters which is even if they get from two meters down to one meters it's still within that uh, one meter so there would have to be a bit of a concession there and maybe say well it's outdoors so uh, you know as long as people are wearing face masks then you know maybe that, that should be all right but you know football's in a situ- uh, situation where they don't want the bad press f- to cause any spikes but also they don't want to be uh, too strict. You know, if you're imagining already, if you're having to, if you get a ticket, and that's another thing, how do you roll that out? Uh, I mean, one easy thing would be say, oh, most loyal season ticket holders, but then, you know, that suddenly uh, creates football as a close shop and there is a resistant mo- you know, movement to that. And, you know, there's so many permutations across many different uh, considerations. Well, yeah, I mean, the only thing, I, I mean, my view is that you should go, I, I do firmly believe that you should go on, on loyalty and longevity first. I've, I've always believed this. However, it, it did, it's not lost on me that, that the most loyal fans are probably fall into the, into the category that, that would be shielding as well uh, on longevity. If you are shielding and, uh, you know, What's your safeguard about losing your position in the loyalty uh, stakes? So Mm -hmm. there's that issue as well. But also, no, you have got to, you have to introduce new blood and uh, have that opportunity of at least going to, uh, there's got to be an in, if you know what I mean. There can't be, you know, if you're a young generation, how do you get to see a game if suddenly, that was the problem if you're a a big team and and you've got a season ticket waiting list etc but now that's going to be almost uh you know times five if only 10 15 you know 18,000 20,000 tops are allowed into a stadium it it is a compounding of of a a problem that Villa have had with the away scheme for many years that that is a a closed shop and that group of people won't like me saying that but that is a you know that that is an impenetrable uh, almost uh, system uh I, I think that that there's for the person who can work out how to effectively deploy a, as many tickets as possible through an app and i think almost you'd need a i don't know if, if those people want to give up the most loyal wanted to give up their ticket and then there's some sort of system for recognizing who, who's next in line if you like I, I think that would be my way of doing it i i don't have the first clue on what's fair i, I do think long, longevity and um and loyalty d- should come into it 
Um, oh yeah, no, we're, we're, it, that will be the the prime mover for but, sure. But but, but we, what what we've seen with Villa in the last week is that they <laughs> they weren't so slick with launching a a football shirt on time. So you know these apps and and the algorithms and the the software that drives them have to be bang on. Yeah, I mean traditionally <laughs> our ticket portal has a meltdown for like a second round league cup game. So God knows what'll happen in this scenario. To wrap up what I'm saying, I, I think that a lot of the things that have been talked about and being worked towards uh, will will not be satisfactory. <laughs> the sooner we get a vaccine for this terrible COVID thing, it will improve not just in football, it will resolve all of those things overnight, but it will obviously improve everybody's lives. All right, before we march on uh, and get back to uh, all things Villa, just a big thank you very much uh, to uh, the patrons uh, for supporting the show and uh, especially the patrons that have connected up to Match Club over the last few weeks and uh, we thought it was a road to nowhere uh, essentially in terms of Villa and their fight to survive but uh, it certainly it, w- it was like a proper story it had a beginning a middle and an end and uh, so thank you very much for joining us in there and uh, creating a very enjoyable uh, community Chris Bird actually just dipped there wasn't even a game and he dipped in there uh, for three hours what were you talking about Chris for three hours everybody wanted their little end of year end of season review it was like the end of season uh, party yeah. drugs drink you name it. Well, uh, next time I might come along. So, yeah, thank you uh, to everybody in Match Club. And, uh, I mean, as we were just saying there, in terms of uh, getting people back into stadiums, I think Match Club will be up and running in full force uh, at the start of uh, 2021 season, for sure. And uh, I will certainly look at uh, evolving it as we uh, go along and make it bigger and even more beautiful. And also, if you're a patron already and you haven't connected up, uh, please do so and you'll get into the swing of things uh, over pre-season. Big thank you uh, for the uh, people who have signed up in uh, the recent weeks. Douglas Delaney, Paul Metcalf, Ian Greatbatch, Ricard Slapman, Charles Pipkins, Chris McCauley, Ivan Kelly, Simon Chapman, Matthew Long and Derek Curley. And thank you very much also to uh, Patrick Civil and Ash Walker for upgrading their pledge as well. If you want to uh, join up uh, and not only become a uh, patron, but also uh, and get extra podcasts as part of uh, being a patron, you get access to Match Club as well. Go to the MyOldManSaid.com website and click on the patron link for more details there and join us. Right, out with the old, in with the new. Uh, Johan Lang has come in from uh, FC Copenhagen. Young guy, 40 years old. We've seen him on these shores before when he uh, was the uh, assistant manager of Wolves. uh, And that's going back. It was a six-month period between 2012-2013. Yeah, he was only only there a few months, wasn't he? He was a a very young guy at the time as well to be an assistant. While that is deemed a a failure, at least uh, from uh, Johan's point of view, he got a, a taste of the West Mid. Midlands and and also uh, you know English football at the time. At least he's had that experience of living here for a period of time, and specifically in the West Midlands area. Well, Midlands living in area. Wolverhampton, so, so moving exactly. to Birmingham is a significant <laughs> upgrade. <laughs> so he's literally prepared for anything uh, through his Wolves experience there. So that's not a problem. I mean, the uh, the upshot is, I mean, there's, there's a cycle that uh, runs with the uh, football director, stroke sports director 
role. And in the villain narrative, it's the new guy comes in, you know, Paddy Riley, stroke Henrik Almstad. And, you know, it's about time we've got some clear direction and the proper recruitment and scouting network. And this is what the club tell us. This is what the, you know, the, the media tell us. And then they become the scapegoat when failure comes around the corner and then they're booted out and then the next guys come in steve round oh yes we need to build a villa engine and uh suddenly that's reported as finally you know we're going to have an identity the villa identity back that's what we've got to get and this is what steve round was saying as well and you know it's a brave new world and uh finally we've got direction and then that doesn't work out steve round gets fired then goes ends up at arsenal and wins the fa cup and uh then the next guy comes in and it's suso yeah we're scouting network across Europe, Spain, you know, fantastic Valencia, blah, blah, blah. Finally, we've got some direction. And then uh, old Suso goes as well. You know, he's useless. Next guy, Johan Lang. Oh, yes, uh, look what he did at Copenhagen. Finally, we have a direction. Can you see a theme developing here? You can sit here and talk for five hours about how fantastic Lang is, but he's... Um on a wicket, which is completely different if you're basing him what happened at FC Copenhagen. FC Copenhagen, in, in a nutshell, it's a bit like a, a Celtic in Scotland. They should be winning their league. They haven't. They don't win it every year. They normally get uh, qualification into the Champions League, but they very rarely get into the group stages. I think the last time was when Leicester qualified when they won the league. Normally, they're in the, the Europa League, and they do uh, occasionally get out the uh, the groups. So they're known as a, a you know feeder club, and they've had some successes. And this is why uh, Johan Lang has been signed because he's uh, managed to turn local produce into, let's say, ten million pound to round a, a figure up. Ten million pound buys to you know German, Italian leagues. And this is obviously what's perked Perslow's interest there. But it's a different canvas at Villa, is it not? Well, the expectation will be you know through the roof, and I suppose. At Copenhagen, the the sort of seismic shift that was probably needed would have been less because they were already, you know, relatively near the top of their division. You know, from where Villa currently are in seventeenth position to where the owners aspire for Villa to be is a very large, uh, you know, step in. You know, depending on the amount of time they want to do it in and how 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 many sort of phases, to use your phrase, from only they see that happening. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We'll dictate what his remit is. They had a business model at Copenhagen. I mean, in an, there's an article that most journalists who... Uh, have jumped on to, uh, you know, profess knowledge of him. It's the one that Sky did with him before Copenhagen played Celtic, uh, when they knocked Celtic out of the Europa League, uh, I think it was in February, where he outlined their ethos and, you know, was very open about it. And this, he said there's three stages to uh, players there. Firstly, they'll win trophies. And that was based on the history of the club being, you know, the biggest force in Denmark. And that builds them up to that, having the experience of winning things and the pressure of winning things. Then secondly, they will play European football and get to test themselves at the next level. And the, the ultimate third step is to be sold to a top five league. And it's like a business model. It's easy to win trophies there. And then you're playing European football. It looks good on the CV. They've won the league. They've won cups, and they've played in the European football. So it's it's kind of a. I mean, they're going to get scouted, obviously, but already it's looking pretty good. I mean, you know, Denmark, Sweden, Scandinavian teams have a in terms of internationally have a a, a reasonable uh, gravitas. So they're creating a farm where they can pretty much make sell players for 10 million like the best ones but then what happens to those players once they arrive in you know italy and uh germany so like robin olsen uh, went to roma to replace allison and you know for about let's say let's call it 10 million and then uh was loaned out the next season so is the business model are they producing players to sell and then they're not whether they're actually any good or not is another thing. They're, they're selling kind of functional players, but actually getting inflated prices for them. We've got plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there, there's a model there. Uh, it's not as if he's he's got a, a factory f- to create superstars. I think he's he's got a factory to make money off certain, you know, f- let's say competent players. I mean, I'm all for you know, ultimately with with players who don't quite make the grade at Villa. If you can take them from point A, which is very low, to some point B, which is a higher value, then great. But ultimately, the goal for Villa is you're wanting to build a team that can supposedly challenge. That's the owner's remit, isn't it? They don't want to just be like a feeder club and develop players to a certain level, hit a glass ceiling, and then they have to leave. Yeah. That's where the challenge comes. He's going to have to... It, it is a new... As you said, it's a new wicket he's playing on, and the expectations are very different, and he's also in a far more competitive you know, country. There's also this this narrative that they are redeveloping our sports science. Uh, I mean, I think they're just tweaking it to how they do it, but it's not as if we don't have one and we've never had one. Of course we have these departments, but we I don't think we've had a good one. Well, this is what a director of footballer does. You know, Dean Smith spoke about towards the end of the season about, you know, develop, you know it's taken a long time to develop a culture. The director of football develops that culture right down from you know, the, the first team the first team in the men's through the reserve sides, juniors, the women's side, right through down to sort of, you know, your your junior, your really junior age groups. And it's it's how you develop a culture, a playing style, you know, pl- patterns of play that they want the teams to play throughout the system. Look at like what they do at Messier at Barcelona. You know, every young player coming into the Barcelona team knows culture of the club and how they play and how they fit into that. So it's it's, it's what his remit is in terms of that because that will determine how much the science they have to do. And that was the Villa engine and Steve Round. Yeah. I mean, Steve Round's no schmuck. He was talking exactly about what Chris has just said, because then when they're looking at players, they are buying players for these roles to 
to fit in the the ethos of Villa, the Villa engine, or however you want to call it. So you know you need this type of fullback, you need this type of centre back, you need this type of striker because this is how Villa play from youth upwards. So it makes it supposedly easier to get the players that you need. You're not just taking a chance on somebody. It's it's, it's quite functional, but you know exactly what you want. You need that fullback because this is the way you play. The, the only thing I would say is that. I mean, I think all those points are, are accurate in terms of summarising what, what the sporting director does. Um, I think the, the other thing about it is in a, in a modern sense, it gives some protection to the head coach or manager yeah, because they're, they're not the full guy because they can almost say, well, these are, these are the players that I'm working with. These are, these are training ground players, as Dean yeah. Smith said. And yeah. it does take a level of pressure off. It's also a really, really handy buffer for the hierarchy of the club. Because they can, they, and that includes Perslow as the CEO, because he can basically say, well, my job is to put this person in place and they deliver on it. If they don't deliver, it's not my fault, you know. And I thought that's always always been a good buffer. The, the one thing that always un- sits unnervingly with me with, with the role, though, is the thing that you don't want to hear that doesn't fit in with the narrative that the club wants to spin. And that is that... You can benefit and, and uh, enjoy and hopefully grow with, with players who are undervalued and they develop into good footballers. But those players will go on to fund other moves or, or other things that you're doing. And, and you, could, you do risk becoming a Southampton. Now, is that accepting our place in the, in the footballing pecking order in the modern world? Probably. You know, and as it stands, we're you know we we finished seventeenth in the Premier League, and, and we're going to need something else to, or that you can't just wave a checkbook anymore. You know, we're, we're unless you're Manchester City, uh, but th- that's the one part of this that we actually need to be somewhere in this system so that we can develop talent quickly, and um, but actually accept that that talent will in all probability be cherry picked because that's the model. Well, it depends because uh, there's only a certain amount of clubs that uh, these players can play for. So if Villa can get themselves up around the European places, I mean, like, for example, you've seen with Leicester, you know, they get to keep Madison. But the main thing, uh, just to just to wrap it up, is uh, when you look at Villa this season, you can't really tell what our identity is, our first team identity, which should, from the top, feed down to the bottom so a sporting director and his team know exactly the type of players that we need and uh, this is something that Smith had an ethos when we got him in but then that ethos in in my understanding was a little bit naive this well if you're one up you're the best way of uh, securing a win is going for that second goal it didn't really work out for us uh, you know we were right up there for being one of the uh, the worst teams in terms of giving up winning positions so uh, that ethos wasn't really working out and we found that we managed to stay in this division by having a look at the defense and making that the starting point to how we played and you know we gain resolve through that and suddenly find ourselves uh, being more successful eventually once we got up and running took a few games to bed in but in those last four games and you know we're unbeaten in the last four games we played so will that change the way Smith sees Villa playing going forward I mean we'll we'll find out I think it'll be interesting as well with the appointment of Craig Shakespeare you know Smith's made a a point of obviously bringing in proven Premier League experience, Premier League winner. Uh, he's a, apparently he's an old friend of Smith's. Isn't he? I think they played together, didn't they, at Warsaw? Um, yeah, so, no, so they, they do. So, yeah, yeah, so they'll have a, a you know a bit of a relationship from from way back, and um, someone who's a bit more savvy. I mean, we'll we'll talk talk about him probably more on another podcast. But the interesting dynamic there is uh, he's walking into a position where he's had that experience of winning the, the Premier League as a, as a number two. But then when he became number one at Leicester, he, he didn't really last that long. I mean, there's some managers that 
excellent number twos, but they don't kind of, uh, you just tell from their first post-match interview, yeah, they're not a manager, are well, they? like Steve McLaren talking in fake Dutch, <laughs> was it? <laughs> from like, let's say, Persley's point of view, it's a savvy appointment because yeah. it allows you not to get rid of the manager, but you're reinforcing the, the guy you really, you know, you want to back. I think so. I think so. I mean, apparently when, when he was under um, Pearson, he was very much good cop. Pearson was bad cop. And so you yeah. wonder how that dynamic will work because obviously you, you get the feeling, don't you, about Smith that he's generally the good cop. Richard yeah. O'Kelly comes across as quite a good guy as well. And yeah. even certainly like John Terry and his dynamic with the players, he's very much the one they respect from his playing career. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, as you said, what the where he sits, not necessarily in the pecking order, but what his role within the changing room or on the training ground will be, whether Smith's looking to maybe take a step back during training and not be quite so hands-on. Uh, I don't know, but I always remember uh, when Ranieri took over and then when Pearson was linked to the Villa job, everybody would be saying, well, the narrative became, well, uh, you know, Craig, Craig Shakespeare is really behind that uh, Leicester team. Yeah. And, but, you know, we've, we've also, uh, we're, we're getting the team back together again. We've, we've also poached uh, the guy that uh, pretty much uh, in terms of recruitment uh, got pretty much the backbone of that title winning team in, didn't he? Yeah, Rob McKenzie has, has also arrived. He's a, I think he's a head of recruitment is his official role. Sort of his notable signings include uh, Esteban Cambiasso and Mares at Leicester. He brought in Hyungmin Song at Spurs. Well, I think he brought in uh, Wes Morgan and, and Vardy as yeah, well. He's a, he's a, again, you'd, you'd say on paper, it's another savvy move. I mean, I hope with all these guys coming in and it's quite a quick turnaround, you know, from the, the end of last season going into the new season, you just hope there isn't a, a kind of a bit of um, sort of too many too many cooks in the kitchen yeah. transfers wise, but I think they will it may well be that Smith actually already knows who he wants and it might may well be that the sporting director has, has actually been doing the, his homework for quite a while because you don't just announce a sporting director 24 hours after the, the season's finished and, and these guys quickly as well. I'd imagine they'd have had an idea that they wanted him for a while. I'd, although Shakespeare, you know, you'd think with obviously the Watford position, he probably became available and they thought, yeah, that'd be a great move and we can move quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, just bringing in those two uh, two extra guys as well as uh, Lang, you've, you've got two people who've got, had their eyes on the English game uh, and, you know, even if Lang probably not as familiar mm-hmm. because he was uh, in, uh, you know, Copenhagen. So uh, I think it's all positives uh, at this stage, at this juncture. Anyway. I mean, we've said that before, haven't we? But they, they yeah. on paper, they look good moves, yeah. Yeah. Can we learn anything from this restart period in terms of how Villa will go into the next season? Is it uh, a kind of an anomaly and it's done and dusted and now we will have uh, a team with, uh, they're talking about war chest. I I love the term war chest when a transfer window opens and they talk about war chest. Around uh, 100 million. I mean, this this is the thing. We're not talking about normal situation here. We are talking about a COVID times. We're talking about a shortened window in terms of when the the season starts and in terms of COVID clubs, whether you're in the lower leagues, whether you're in the Premier League, you've all got a different outlook now. You've got a different situation. Can you see Villa spending over 100 million in this window? I mean, I think I can actually. Yeah, It's, it's whether or not I see us investing 100 million wisely. I hope we don't just go out and buy some players you know, if if they're not, if we can't get better than we've got, then hopefully not. Ultimately, you know, we shall see that there's no sort of obvious fits, are there? Like in previous years, we think, oh yeah, he's available, and we know he'll fit, and it'll be, a, you know, I think we're going to be there's going to be a little bit of sort of head scratching and wondering who these guys are. I think a bit like last summer. 
do you not think there's going to be that there's a few anomalies i mean obviously the the, the protracted end to the season uh a very unpredictable financial circumstances i think bournemouth have already had to sell uh i think their center half to, to manchester city to I think plug half of a 80 to 90 million pound hole. Uh, I think you'll see some of that. I think you'll see some of the picking of the bones. Yeah. The, the impact will be where the teams actually get value for players. Now this, this would have been Villa's situation actually. If we've been relegated, I think you'd already be seeing preliminary movement on, on, on our core players. Uh, fr- from my point of view, I think, I think Villa could, it's unpredictable what we'll spend. And I think that's because of football, football fees are very unpredictable. I think if we lose a marquee player, Grealish Mings, I think then then you'll see some serious movement because Villa's hand will be forced. Uh, I, I do think a lot of this hinges on you know look at the Manchester United. Sorry, you've know. you've just you've just dropped in. You've just said oh if we lose Mings and Greedish, I, I don't. I think in the, the certain certainly because we stayed up, we're not, I don't think we'll lose uh, Mings one hundred percent. No, I meant them in reference as in as in Marquesi marquee player. And then in terms of Grealish, I think uh, the situations, uh, I mean, let's just talk about him quickly. I mean, I mean, I, I look at Grealish and I look at precedents of two players in terms of their signings that give you a, a feeling of the landscape. One is Madison. Now, Madison was, you know, Manchester United uh, after Madison or Grealish went and he signed for Leicester, new contracts. And let's say for argument's sake, 100,000. In the January window, Manchester United went out and brought Fernandez for what was it, forty-six million, rising up to you know add-ons to yeah. fifty odd, whatever. Now the landscape before that was oh they spent uh, eighty million on Maguire, so oh Grealish is worth uh, wait more than that because Maguire isn't all that. Fernandez came along and tr- single-handedly transformed that United team and turned them into a potential force with a couple of bit more parts. Now. There's no way United are paying 80 million for Grealish because he's not worth that compared to Fernandez. He didn't single-handedly drag us out of uh, the restart period. I mean, apart from scoring in the last, you know, the last game, and that was cancelled out by deflection off his leg. I mean, I've read articles where it's almost like he scored the winner that saved, you know, saved Aston Villa, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, this. Why do you still hype, hype, hype? It's like, let's be realistic here. I don't think uh, United's Manchester City would pay anything uh, that's been mooted around these silly figures of eighty, a hundred for Grealish. Well, it's market forces, isn't it? I mean, you look at the the sort of the numbers that are being branded around for Jack, and then you look at the, the even more mental numbers that are being branded for Jaden Sancho is just astronomical. Whereas you look at the business side that someone like. Chelsea Chelsea have done for like Ziek from names Ajax, isn't it? Who looks like an absolute superstar in the making for half of that, and he's a Champions League player who's done it in the Champions League. Or you look at Timo Werner, who Chelsea have bought for fifty million, again a player who's done it consistently for a while. And I think that's just what you find in the the British market, isn't it? That the British players' fees get inflated. I've seen sort of Ben Chilwell at Leicester being branded around at sixty million, as I said, you know, Sancho for over a hundred. It's just that's just almost it's market force, isn't it? It may well become the going rate for an, a young English player, but I don't know if all those players might may find themselves just priced out of the market, and you you could end up with quite a stagnant transfer period. I was just about so that's that's how I think it will play out, and and I mentioned the Madison deal because I think you don't know how it plays out behind the scenes, but it, it is in Jack Grealish's interest to be in the papers every day, being you know hyped up. Oh yeah, hundred million to United. Oh oh oh, oh Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, blah blah blah. Because that starts a scenario where his agent can knock on the door and go, well, you know, he, he wouldn't mind staying for Villa, but you know, you got to show us a bit more corn. And you know, look at look at Madison, and I think that's how I see that playing out. He will get a pay rise, and then it will be like, oh yeah, he's staying. Yeah. 
Yeah, same. I, I hope that's the, the case. There's two, I mean, a couple of weird quirks I, as I see it is that the, the transfer window stays open until almost the first, the end of the first week of October, which is a, will be a, almost a month into the, the new Premier League season, or at least three weeks. Uh, and and the, the other thing is it's something I mentioned off air is that I, I don't think that there's a huge pot of quality footballers. I don't think this is a golden age of football. It's and not. and I do think Grealish I, I, Grealish has the potential to go on to be a top top footballer, but he, he he's above the the average if if you know what I mean. And I, you can see what he's good at. And I do think there are plenty of clubs who look around at that. And you know we've been talking talked about Moneyball. They maybe see that he's somewhere on that journey, don't they? That speculate to accumulate, and he he would improve many teams. I think whether a bid's forthcoming and whether it's right for Grealish is, is as you say, another matter. But in terms of the people who would pay top or, or capable of playing top dollar, I don't know if he necessarily improves their first 11 uh, as we speak. Or even when, like, you know, Liverpool knew exactly what they needed to get over the line to win the league. They needed a centre-back. They went and bought Van Dijk for mega bucks, but they knew that they were getting a superstar. And that's, and that's the thing this summer. That I think there's so many sides this summer that you look at Right at the top of the division, I might add, probably bar Liverpool, and you think, well, there's some, there's probably three, four, five really big football teams with huge budgets who are all in transition at the moment. So they're the first ones to the party, and then you've got teams like Everton, Southampton, and Wolves, and other sides who are better off than us. And in terms of we're what three years behind in terms of wage structure, that'll be a big change at Villa over this you know, potentially this season. What we'll have to offer players to bring them in, especially if we're looking for better quality. And you know we're we're going to have to try. You know it sounds staffed, but we're going to have to try and compete with teams like Burnley, who are still three years ahead of us in terms of wage structure. Because like your Ben Rama, it's high high risk, really high risk. It is high risk. Also, uh, but, you know, looks all right. But also, he is uh, another championship man. You know, you've got to start somewhere, you can say. But also, if he is the top talent in the championship, there's going to be a queue of clubs after him, forces up the price. So suddenly, the risk becomes bigger and bigger because you're playing top dollar. Should Villa uh, outbid your West Ham's and your Leeds? Well, that's your game of risk, isn't it? That if he was a real talent, Arsenal would snap him up. I would, I would say, for example. Well, they're, they're faced with a different type of risk. That we're we're looking to our our risk is that we're in a market where we've got to outbid in order to get our to attract those players and to to get. Yeah, to even have a chance, I suppose that Arsenal's are probably looking at players like Ben Rama because they can no longer compete in the the true elite bidding wars. You know that you know. I don't even think a Grealish would go to an Arsenal at the moment, personally, on on, on ambition alone, in, in whether he stood to win things. And that, I think that says a lot. I, I think for Villa and the likes of Ben Rama, it's interesting that I think last, last season we were known to have bid for him. Uh, at about the same fee that we ended up paying for Trezeguet, which was about eight million quid, and Ben Rama's valuation is is. I mean, anywhere between twenty and thirty million pounds, depending on where you where you get your news, and that it's it's dangerous territory for me for for a Villa because you you're then into the scenario where you're repeating mistakes that we made a number of years ago in our Premier League, where where you you vastly overpay to stand still. Yeah, the I point agree. I was going to make off the back of what Chris just Chris was saying, just to wrap up my point, is that for for every McGinn, there's an Al Ghazi, and we need to we need to find more McGinns than Al Ghazis that. You know, that's the tipping point where you end up with a squad like Bournemouth that got relegated with players who are over fifteen million pounds in valuation. Naturally, when they get relegated, they, they they were never good enough. And this is this is the problem because the hype cycle is is now, and people get always get excited about buying players, and it doesn't take long for that that gloss to wear off. So, in terms of the gloss coming off, 
signing uh, somebody we we uh, we I think he's moved above uh, Ben Rama in terms of the uh, the wants is uh, Ollie Watkins Brentford's uh, striker he, I mean he he wasn't their striker before he he basically switched this season to a more forward role and I think Smith used to play him uh, when when he was there he tried him there a few times and I think that's why he's gone up perhaps above Ben Rama is that versatility that he does uh, supply that he can play out wide as well I mean what, what's your take on this because we've seen it before you know Villa splashing out on what's going to be the best player in the championship and then suddenly you know they're uh, they're on the bench and we're looking at them and we're not really inspired by them yeah it's just it's a kind of a a wait and see type deal on paper because you look at these, you know, as with all these players, you look at the highlight reels, you look at his finishing on YouTube and it all looks great. You know, I think he scored 25 goals in the championship, which again is great. But then you think, well, Mitrovic scored 26 and we saw what he did in the Premier League at Newcastle and with Fulham the previous time he was in the league and he, he didn't really cut it particularly. I know he wasn't in great teams, but I don't think Watkins certainly comes in again as potential. He's almost in the mould of the players we bought last summer. Um, you know, I, I would hope he, he has all the attributes to because he's you know he's he's kind of definitely a player who's got an upward trajectory, but that doesn't mean they're a guarantee, does it? It doesn't mean you're going to yeah. drop him straight into the team. And we've you know we've all said for months really that Villa needed to go out and buy Premier League bankers. And yeah. while Watkins is a good player and he can clearly finish, I still don't class him as a banker. We, we talked about Keenan Davis and uh, Samata to some extent lacking that predatory uh, instinct. I, th- I think he's got it. That's not a problem, and, he, and you know, with head and feet, he's uh, a smart finisher as well. But yeah, Ross McCormack used to bang twenty goals in a season in the Championship. Nobody fancied him in the Premier League. Codger no. did it a couple of times, or, or nineteen for Bristol and Villa, but he was never a, a Premier League striker. So there is a difference. Yeah, I mean, what I would hope is that you look at someone more like well, how Vardy was at Leicester, for example, or how like we you know when Collymore came up with um, with Forest in the mid nineties. You know, Collymore hit the ground running, didn't he? A very yeah. similar player to Watkins. Actually, you know, he's quick, like stronger player. Probably not as physically big Watkins, but he can play straight down the middle or wide. And I think it, it could be a savvy move. But I would, I'd, I would say you know, with brackets, but, but only for the right price. I wouldn't be spending silly money, which is why there's been a lot of other names mentioned as well. This is the thing. Uh, I mean, when you people are saying 25, and that suddenly becomes your record signing, it's like, ha, hang on a minute, are we? Uh, how can a championship player be our record signing? Is it just because it's market forces and suddenly West Ham and Leeds and whoever else are in for him, and that's forced the price up? Uh, Dan. As well as the you know the the question of the price, what what do you think about uh, what what message does it uh, send to you know your Grealishes that you know we have ambition by you know getting a player like this? There's a finite amount of time where we have to demonstrate to him and others that 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 we have intent as a football club, and that's incredibly. Uh, harder than ever to do, I think. John, John McGinn yeah. actually said that. He said, I think everyone is aware we need quality added. Mm. We obviously spent a lot of money in the summer and we, we, we may need to go and do it again. I think we will. And you've got to show ambition, though, because else what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. You need to be in the position where McGinn says, oh, shit, I wish I never said that about yeah. getting extra yeah. quality. Because you need him and Horahan, they need to be... When a player comes in, and Villa should be like, as you said, get rid of that sentimentality. They should be looking at, right, everybody loves McGinn or Horahan, but let's get a better player than them. Well, it's the phases of a team, isn't it? You know, they, they built a team that got them up. Then they built a very expensive team that kept them up. And now it's a case of, well, if you want to push on and push up towards mid-table or the top, you know, the, the top half, 
you're probably going to have to build not necessarily a whole new team because I think we've got the the makings of quantity, but you need to go out and buy quality, and that's difficult. Yeah, I think I think what we what we bought was part of a rebuild. It wasn't like we haven't just built this for this. You know, this isn't one stage. It's I think you look at your Louises, you look at your Cons and Mings. The age suggests that this is this that was the foundations to yep. build the uh, the Premier League team. And as well, I think another big factor that really doesn't get mentioned all that much is that you are hoping that some of these players who've had a, some of them have had very difficult first seasons, and it's been a baptism of fire for quite a few of those players in the Premier League. You know, at times Grealish and McGinn included, and especially Mings. You'd hope these players are improving in their second season because that's as important as the recruitment is improvement in the squad. I mean, you know, we looked at you know, Villa's like goals conceded since the restart and stats like that show that there's been a bit of progression and you, you hope that Smith and O'Kelly and if John Terry's still there, that they're leaner and meaner for the experience of that very difficult season and everything they've had thrown at them and that players are a little bit smarter and tactically more aware and hopefully fitter because that was one thing that Smith really threw at the team, that they just weren't fit in the early stages. And I think you want to be able to bring a player in now, you know, rather than integrating a squad of 12, 13-plus players. Now it's about bringing in the right people, knowing that they'll be able to slot in and, and elevate what you've got. Because I think if you can elevate what Villa have got, then you have a real opportunity. Because I look at that bottom half of the table, and it's crap. I think if you get your house in order, I look yeah. at teams like Newcastle and Palace and where Everton are floundering at the moment. and even well, Le- the Leicester that, are the model, surely. Yeah, Leicester are the model completely. And even someone like well, Southampton in the second half of the season. If you want to be really ambitious, if, if we did have a recruitment team, let's say they really knew what they were doing and the owners were super ambitious. And from the momentum that we got right at the end, because you know we got a little bit of a, a lift there by doing what most people thought was impossible there is a potential to fast track if or if that is all in line because you, your arsenals your spurs as your uniteds are all you know they're in a state of flux as well i mean even you know, even chelsea are, are a good few players off being the finished article and you know they've got a young manager who's just started up as well yeah i think this is the season where the the, the ambition is that you you make up for lost time you know the season that's just gone was about sort of steadying the ship and it was the season of transition. Now it's about you've you've got to put your foot on the gas a little bit and kind of go, right, we're going to chase down these mid-table teams where we know if we if they have a transfer window and they get it right, they can actually make up some ground quite quickly. Yeah. But, but you know, who knows? I mean, you know, if you're a player either from a lower league or a foreign league and you've got the option to go to Southampton or Burnley, who on, on paper are higher up division or, or Villa, that comes down to the, you know, the CEO, the manager, and the, and ultimately the, you know, the director of football and, and his phone book. You know, does he have the phone book to to not go and get a bunch of guys who no one's heard of from the you know the Danish league or Sweden or wherever? You know, has he got you know the weight to pull with agents or whoever to go? Do you know what? We know your lad's worth forty million from a top Italian team. Does he want to come and play in the Premier League where the reality is he's going to get paid more? Um, or Bundes, uh, like really good Bundesliga players? Can we attract those? guys be it with the you know our wage structure that works or an ambition or you know do they can you get people to buy into a project i mean that's the examples which sort of pains you to say you look at what wolves have done and the, the the numbers they've worked with i mean they've spent a bit of money but in terms of the championship they went out and got people like neves who are you know a player of that quality for 15 million quid who was yeah. getting paid 15 grand a week reportedly is an absolute steal now when you look at it Three years later, massive bonuses, no doubt. Absolutely, but it's it's about buying players of that pedigree, you know, international quality players, and not second-rate internationals. 
like Villa have had recently. It's about you know good players and established players who think, oh, do you know what? Villa are a team that are going places. I want to be part of that. But actually acting in, in a way that we, we've got to move to a, to a phase, and I think Perslow was very quick to say last season, and again this, that we were a, a year ahead of where we wanted to be, which has to be yeah. viewed as a bonus. Yeah. But we have to very quickly now, This and this is where our, I suppose our phase two is in, in my head. I don't expect us to suddenly be going, right, let's go and pluck Tammy Abraham. I don't think we have the right to do that. But I do think we have the right to go into the market and say, do you know what, we, we can't be in a position where we go... Danny Drinkwater's a good idea or actually Henry Lansbury makes the bench because that, <laughs> no. Lansbury wasn't good enough in the championship. Yeah, <laughs> so, we have to remember that. Well, it's a fact and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, we, we have to put ourselves in a position where, as I th- I, I, forgive me, I think it was you, David, who said that if, if we've got a Hurahan, and, and I do think you perform well, don't get me wrong, in the latter stage of the season for us, but you have to try and buy better than him so that if Hurahan drops to the bench, that's immediately better than anything else you've got behind him currently. And try and think of this con- continuous improvement. What we mentioned earlier on about the sentimentality. I mean, yeah. that you could say that, you know, oh, what, you know, Hurahan, he played really well at the in the restart period or, you know, McGinn or, you know, whoever you want to, you know, Trizaguet's goals, they kept us up. It's like, well, no, we, we have to improve. And uh, it's not a case of we wait until they play a bad game and then we put the new guy in. It's like you buy better and there's no sentimentality about it. It's a uh, cutthroat business. Well, you have to have a competitive culture, don't you, within your team? You can't have players looking over their shoulder and going, well, he's not. He's just not better than me. You've got to have... <laughs> Fucking Lansbury, he's not better than me. Y- you know, you need... <laughs> <laughs> and that McGinn, he, I don't know whether for that uh, photo sh- shoot for the new shirt, I don't know if it was photoshopped <laughs> or... or if he's trim in the middle, wasn't he? I know, yeah, all of a sudden. <laughs> if he was breathing in, because that was... Uh, it looks a lot different from when he, in the flesh when he's on the pitch mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> I did notice that I, I, listen I, I think that we, ha- we, we haven't got a lot of time to, to, to organise ourselves and this is where I suppose the disadvantage of, of chopping our, our sporting director doesn't help us but I, we're probably in better shape than a number of Premier League clubs and I do agree with what you, what you were saying about as well there are a number of clubs who are just born to survive if you like and we, we fell into that trap a few years ago Yeah. if we can, it can dredge ourselves out of that um, I do think it catapults you into a top eight scenario that the difference between a Wolves and a Leicester for me, Wolves have got a manufactured you know, Portuguese national team almost that have been transported in. Leicester's approach was, was different. They got, they got around that Brexit really well. We'll just pretend to be a, uh, a club team and, and live here. <laughs> They're all very welcome. They're all very well. But, but the proof is that those two models are, are relatively successful. I mean, Leicester's is, is one of, I think that is a model of continuous improvement where they I know obviously they're their own uh, passed away in that dreadful accident last year but it was a but get the best that you absolutely can and uh, do that repeatedly and they 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 also went through a similar experience to us really that season that they they kept themselves up but they catapulted themselves up immediately above the dross in the league into the to the top of the division by not being sentimental i think it's players like cambiasso were dumped you know having yeah. been very performed very yeah. very well in that relegation team you know heralded um and they 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 did the fundamentals very very well but they bought very well as well i mean villa are in a situation where they've spent and this is the suso question pops up when you look at wesley and you look at samata and so you're in this position where you're thinking well we've dropped a especially wesley we've we've dropped a ton of cash on them 22 million do we 
try to get a tune out of them so we can save face and obviously get some uh, money back on our uh, initial investment? Or do we just cut the loss and uh, get a new man in? It's probably both, isn't it? I would have thought. I mean, offloading you know, someone like a Wesley and getting anything worthwhile back would be difficult in the current market and his injury situation. So I, th- I think you have to get the best out of him you can. I think if, if he feels he needs to kick up the arse by having a better player in front of him, you know, sentimentally, I don't think any fan has any sentimental value towards the likes of Samata or Wesley or some of these guys. But everybody wants them to do well, so... You have to, you know, you have, you have they have to get up to speed. So same as someone like Heaton, it's like if you know, if, I, mean, I personally would take Rayner back on loan for a year because you look at the other options out there, and I don't think you're going to get that much better without spending a lot of money. Heaton will come back at some point, but I don't want to be relying on Steer and Nealand in the Premier League. My philosophy on the goalkeeper is buy another number one and let let Heaton come back and try to get his shirt off him because uh, Heaton was one of a squad of three goalkeepers. That- for Burnley and because of his injuries mainly because Burnley didn't want to take that chance and you know Burnley are Burnley no disrespect so Villa thinking oh well we'll just get somebody in while you know Heaton's getting back Heaton comes back and if he gets injured again then we're you know we're, we are compromising our position where Heaton we should not be compromising we should be like right you sort yourself out once you fit take this guy on if you're better than him then it's the, you know your shirt's yours but if not then at least when you you know disappear for a 20 games we'll be all right rather than scratching around with uh it's almost like the uh was that jason statham for the expendables is our goalkeeper yeah. squad <laughs> kalanich <laughs> steer i mean steer we cut him some slack because he hasn't uh let us down but he you wouldn't uh see him as uh, a number one and be comfortable in the premier league i mean he hasn't had that chance but there's a reason why he isn't the number one at this moment I mean he's Mr. Injury as well I mean it'd just be nice to you know to look at the team sheets before the first game and know that your team compares to the team on the other side there's certain positions where you can compete against any team I mean like back in the day when like if we got to the stage of let's say the mid uh, well early mid 90s where you got Bosnick and Goal and Spinks as your backup keeper no fucking problem I wouldn't actually swap them for anybody else who's this fucking Michael Oakes character <laughs> yeah, yeah. no Michael and Oakes, Adam Rachel <laughs> Adam Rachel this guy in jogging bottoms Kirali Posma no no just ignore him too <laughs> you can have a, a as good right back as any of the top teams or it's mainly midfield and strikers where they, they kind of trump you. We we need to get back to that position where we have a, a reliable number one keeper. And Heaton was certainly at, at, at the level of a decent keeper. But uh, you just look back at his injury so far at Villa and then what, you know, what was happening at Burnley. And there's a question mark for why he was at that price and why he seemed such a great deal at the time. But we can't, you know... He disappeared in January, and then we lost our striker as well, our only striker, really. We can't have those potential weaknesses because we know, you know, Aston Villa, those weaknesses will be exposed. It's almost written in the stars that Heaton and uh, Wesley would get injured at some point. Defence, would you add anything to that while we're uh, talking about improvements and ambition? I would only go out and buy someone now if you know they can improve it. You don't need to go out and buy like squad filler at the back, I don't think, at the moment. I think if you could maybe go and get a, a really top quality 
left fullback. I quite like Gilbert, and I think El Mohamed is a good option. I think you've got people like sort of Hawes, who's a squad player now. I think Engels will probably find himself in the squad and having to fight his way back in. I think you know Mings is your, is your obvious starter. I quite like Target going forward. I think if you could find, if you had the option of a, a much better player to partner Mings and you thought, yeah, he's an absolute banker at this level, that is a great back four. I'd go out and buy that. But if, if you're sort of looking around the five to 10 million mark for a, another maybe centre-back, I don't see the point in doing that now. I think Smith kind of knows that actually defensively we're in not bad shape. I think he's looking at the other end of the field personally. How would you rate our defence out of 10? Pre-lockdown or post? <laughs> well, as we stand now, based on both. Um, have we turned a corner? We have turned a corner, but it's it's probably too early to t- say in terms of have, have we consistently turned the corner? I mean, w- what I'm kind of saying is out of 10, how, how much do you trust them? Seven at best. Dan, are you still awake? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a six from me. I, I think yeah. I think if you could find a, a player who's as good as or better than Mings, then you, you take yeah, him. I, agreed, I won't, yeah, I agree. I won't lie. I'm, I'm not convinced by either of our fullback positions um but i don't think we've had consistent fullbacks for a number of years <laughs> very hard positions to fill we were much better after after lockdown obviously but it, it's it's there's always room for improvement at the back uh, what i got from uh the restart was organization was a lot better i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be the uh, the personnel individually but the organization certainly was a cut above you know when you're limiting teams to uh yeah, yeah. Couldn't have got much worse than before. I mean, that's why we kind of got away with the whole goalkeeper thing because our goalkeepers weren't actually under pressure. They weren't facing uh, a lot of ammunition, uh, even you know, even when we weren't picking up points. I mean, we even tried to carry the ball into our own net. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) allegedly, (laughs) allegedly. Uh, Yeah, I mean, while we're on the subject of that, that Hawkeye thing, I I can't believe it's been singled out as the reason why. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, especially in the age of so social media it's easy to uh single out and use as an excuse but you know as they say over the season the table never lies no and you're talking about a piece of equipment that's barely made a mistake and when it did it was for a split second over 760 league games of a season Bournemouth have been consistently crap for 38 games well I mean all you have to say really at the end of the day is Aston Villa got 35 points, which if you ask any Villa fan before the start of the season, <laughs> what, what do you think? We're going to get 35 points. They're going, fuck, we're relegated. Yep. And even, you know, the Ram Musson diagram, shout out to uh, Christopher Ram Musson for his diagrams. Even when he was doing his diagrams, he was talking about basing everything on 36 to 42 points as the uh, possible spectrum of survival. And we managed to go under that, but still survive. What an, what an institution we are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, if you as a football team cannot get over 35 points then quit moaning and take your fucking relegation on the chin because you deserve it if you can't get that many and you're losing out on you know 17th place to villa you don't deserve it they don't deserve it they're they're a, they're, a, they're not a plucky little club they've a billionaire owner they've squandered millions of pounds and eddie it's Howe, eddie Howe got got found out and by the way we gifted you six points. Yeah, that's Get the down. thing. We gifted you six we points. We fucking gave you six points, you Get knobs. back down the divisions. No one's interested. I cannot care less for their little pity party. And I, oh, 
Ciao. Yeah, I forgot about that one. We did actually donate six points to the... Yeah, uh, exactamundo. The bloody cherries. <laughs> and didn't the FA about two weeks be- yeah, before that, in- the end of the season, come out and say after they played Tottenham that oh, that was about a stonewall of penalty and it should have been given? Yeah. I mean, VAR's such a farce that uh, pretty much any club can... Uh, pick you know three or four singular moments and uh, start crying about them yeah and obviously what is it two and a half million pounds per place you could argue that well you know that cost us a couple you know, a few million quid i don't think yeah. every team is going to be you know going to get with legal proceedings and what a you know, kettle of fish that could we should have got relegated on 35 points i, I hold my hand up and uh, you know listen from where we were and we got 35 points i consider that you know a miracle <laughs> nothing short of a miracle and, and the, the fact that that Mahmoud Trezeguet morphed into a goal-scoring footballer. Was the <laughs> we got the star striker? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we will do the over and underrated of the uh, players, which will be kind of a recap on the season in terms of what the owners have uh, said. Uh, this past season, we were able to navigate a very difficult transition into the Premier League and are happy with the effort to stay up aforementioned miracle but we will not be satisfied until we achieve our goal of bringing sustainable success to Aston Villa at the top tier of European football pretty much the sentiments of Randy Lerner of uh, well I was going to say that crazy guy that said we would be one of the top three teams in five years in the whole world and we'd have a theme park that we wouldn't be able to go to Shut. But no, I mean, that is what they've said there in three and a little bit sentences is uh, pretty much the ethos of this show, I, I would say. Villa should always yes. be challenging for European football. That should be the goal. There's a danger, as we know, the Premier League, because of the money, that the sport element kind of fades away and you just become a survival club in terms of the sporting context because you just want to make money and uh, keep feeding the beasts and everybody connected to that beast. Yeah, you have to sell all your best players and then you have to retire the shirt when they're only 17. Yeah, there's the uh, example that the celebration was almost like we've just made a great business deal there. So let's let's celebrate it. Let's market. We can afford the electricity bill. Normally a shirt retirement is like, oh, for 10 years he scored 25 goals a season and won us, you know, five cups and two leagues. It's the end of a dynasty. What a legend, and then retire the shirt. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about the Birmingham City chap, whose name I can't even remember, but his shirt's uh, retired. What's his name, anybody? Judy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for us to take him on loan. That would really break their hearts. That'd be brilliant. Give him the 22 shirt back. If if I was Johan Langer and I wanted to immediately... Immediately get myself in folklore. I'd be on the phone to Borussia Dortmund saying, one, one year, just give us one year with this lad. Even just <laughs> one game, just let us announce it. Just just let us put the tweet out. Just and to- immediately give him the number 22 shirt. Yep. Be genius. It would be absolute <laughs> genius. I mean, yeah, I would name a stand after Johan Langer if he could pull that deal off. I thought the, f- the, the Blues were going to name a, a stand after Bellingham, weren't they? They were going to call it the Bellingham. It would be... <laughs> Uh, on that note he's a bit of a wonder kid to be fair he's meant to be a nice kid and uh, 
I'm, I'm, you know, we're more mocking the idea that, uh, I think it was just, they were really celebrating that business deal rather Bizarre. than, uh, it was a quite so. funny day on Twitter when the things that were trending in the UK were tin pot and then Birmingham city straight afterwards. Yeah. And uh, a lot of Birmingham city fans were a bit embarrassed by their club's action, would be, action there. So, uh, we will, uh, step off them, but please, uh, Mr. Uh, Langen, if you can, uh, do that deal that would be the best deal of the transfer window i think if not the funniest yeah just do it for shits and giggles one last thing is when you you know transfer it's all bullshit on twitter and you know silly clickbait articles transfer rumors uh bullshit prices blah 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 but the one most exciting thing about transfers is when you go and see that player for the first time whether it's a pre-season friendly you drag yourself off to Warsaw to see them in a villa shirt for the first time and we can't actually do that and lockdown football it's not something i'm really looking mm. forward to no. when the new season kicks off it's you know it's it's really put a bit of a, a dampener on it yeah the excitement of the new season will be, will be somewhat sort of tapered won't it and it's just a bit kind of you know some of my friends are saying right until fans get back in stadiums I can't be arsed with this I mean one of them was a Forest fan and that was mainly because they fucked up their playoff for <laughs> well, yeah, <they laughs> spectacularly that's reason to watch them alone surely you just never know what's going to happen so there was a little bit of that as a bit of bitterness in there but I completely get it because you know we mentioned the FA Cup I didn't even know what the score was until mm. uh, the next day mm. and the, the footballing powers that be irrelevant of, of I mean there's lots of money that comes through football they have to be aware of that 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 a serious part of the the footballing community the lifeblood of the sport a growing and sizable percentage of them are, are turned off by the current format yeah uh, and they're faced with the double predicament that if and we've talked we talked about it in this pod if they can even fashion a way of getting fans back into the ground that's as unappealing to be honest. And it's more for me actually. It's I think it's more of a farce. I'd yeah, rather sure. have an empty stadium than like four thousand, well, forty thousand seater stadium. And but we I think we're at different stages across across this pod and across our own sites and commentary, perhaps we've we predicted that, that football wasn't sustainable as as a model and, and there's huge amounts of finance that goes through the game still somehow. Yeah. The profits of doing with it that at some point that the finances of the game would be would be seriously at peril and and I think that we're we're right we're there now. Yeah, what it didn't need was a global pandemic to kick in and I think that's nope. gonna exasperate it and speed it up and Absolutely. Uh, it's it's gonna be the next season will be more interesting what happens off the pitch, I think, more so than what happens on it. Definitely. Right, we we can't finish this podcast, so we just got to keep going until we die. <laughs> it's a live, it's a live podcast until they zip us into our branded Kappa body bags. But they'll, because they'll be so poorly made, they'll disintegrate, peel off, yeah. and we'll fall out our carcasses. And the and the record button will switch back on again. <laughs> And we'll be reincarnated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Right, until uh, next time when we will uh, fall in love with football all over again. We promise. We, sh- we should have had um, more of a party episode, but you know we don't we don't go out in the streets of our <laughs> fine city and wreck it when we've just got promoted. We yeah. don't uh, we don't turn up at our stadium to celebrate us winning the FA Cup because we never fucking win the FA Cup anymore. <laughs> Probably is the main reason. But we, uh, we'd forget it was on if we. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, but surviving relegation was, uh, I think we're still kind of stunned by it, to yeah, uh, be am. honest. Yeah, I, won't lie. I think relieved. I don't want to be, I don't want to get too, uh, it's almost like I don't want to tempt fate and I find that actually, no, we are relegated after all. <laughs> Yes, I'm kind of looking forward to fully believe it. I'm looking forward to the uh, the first kick of uh, kick of the ball of the new season. But mm. but the new season starts again potentially compromised. But carrot of an October that we'll see fans back in stadiums might not be uh, as optimistic as we first thought. There's many roadblocks in the way, and also uh, infringement on potential enjoyment of it uh, could be bonuses if we are allowed to drink beers in our seats and have no idiots sitting within uh, two meters of us <laughs> joyous could, wouldn't it actually just, the just leave me at alone. the back is no more <laughs> could could be a big improvement actually let's, let's look on the bright side of this no queues uh, waiting for your villa dog less hassle mm-hmm. on trains mm-hmm. and transport less traffic jams oh, it could be could be good just got to secure a ticket somehow <laughs> Anyway, on that note, uh, please do subscribe to the podcast, uh, especially on uh, Spotify and Apple, if you can. And until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye, Villa friends. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.